If you haven't already, please open your Bibles to Matthew 1, and we're going to look at two verses there in a moment. During this Christmas season, I realize that there is probably nothing that I can say, nothing that I can teach you that would be new to you about the traditional birth of Christ passages as we look at Matthew 1 and at Luke 2. I understand that. That doesn't bother me. <laughs> Because it's there for a reason. It's there written down in God's word to remind us. We need reminders from time to time. I know that I do. So consider this a reminder this morning. I've preached this passage before and the corresponding passage, the cross-reference over in Isaiah 7. I've done that years ago on a Christmas. And of course, in preaching those passages, one of the most obvious teachings to bring out, one of the most obvious doctrines is the virgin birth. And I've done that, and I'll do it again. But that's not my focus this morning. As I prayed through what the Lord wanted me to bring to you this Sunday and next Sunday, I was arrested by the idea of God's presence. So today, I'm going to preach a sermon about God's presence, and then next week, Lord willing, I'm going to preach a sermon about God's peace and how those ideas tie into what we consider Christmas. The phrase that got my attention in this passage is at the end of verse 23. It's God with us. God with us. I'm going to read, I know that Phil read these for us earlier, the larger passage from verse 18 to verse 25, but I would like to read these verses again. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to read just those two verses, verses 22 and 23, and then we'll pray together. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Let's pray together, please. Father, I thank you that you are with us today. We thank you for the truth of this passage, and we pray that you would imprint it on our hearts this morning by the help of your Holy Spirit. We thank you for each person gathered here this morning, for the families represented. We thank you for those who have joined us online. And Lord, we pray that you would indeed meet with us during this time, that we would be able to sense your presence with us, that we would be able to be confident that this is your word and that you are giving us your word for this morning. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts that are ready to receive the seed of your word this morning. May it bear fruit in us. Show us what you want us to see and remind us of what you want to remind us of. Father, I ask for the help of your Holy Spirit that he would anoint my lips so that what you want said today would be what I say and that you would teach us the passage and allow us to take it with us in ways that we understand what you want us to do in response to what you've told us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The key idea, the key thought for this morning is simply that God is with us. You would already figured that out. God is with us. And to be more specific, I have three points to go along with that. The first is that God is with us throughout life. We're going to look at a number of passages, many of them from the Old Testament, that show us the promise that God is with us. 
and that he will be, be with us throughout life. The second point, though, is that he is with us whether or not we realize it. He's with us whether or not we sense it. He is with us even when we can't sense his presence. And then third, God has promised to be with us throughout eternity. This is not going to be the typical verse-by-verse, go through a few paragraphs of Scripture. But I am going to hit a few highlights of those two verses I read a moment ago. Again, those verses, 22 and 23. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying... Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Who's the prophet here? Who are we talking about? And the answer is Isaiah. You may already know that. But Isaiah is the prophet, and you can read more about this interaction between him and the wicked king Ahaz in Isaiah chapter 7, verses 1 through 17. And the verse that Matthew is quoting is from verse 14 of that passage. Isaiah 7, 14 goes like this. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign. The Lord himself is giving a sign. What's the sign? Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So that's going to be the name of this baby that's going to be born. When the angel came to Joseph in our passage in Matthew 1, Matthew by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, took that and tied it back to this passage in Isaiah, tying into the name Emmanuel. You understand it means God with us or God is with us. David Guzik said, Emmanuel speaks of both the deity of Jesus, because it says God is with us, and it also speaks of the humanity and the nearness to man, because he is God with us how amazing that god would come and dwell among us that should blow our minds more than it does we're, we're so used to this concept oh yes emmanuel that means god with us yes jesus came i hope at some point during the season that that truth has come back to you again has become fresh has become new to you that god came and dwelt among us we call that the incarnation Incarnation means to come in flesh. And we get that from a Latin translation of John 1.14. John 1.14 is probably a familiar verse to you. If not, read along as I read it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The word, that's Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. That's that word incarnation. And we, John says, beheld his glory. The glory of the Father was filling Jesus the Son. So that's a little bit about those two verses, but I want to do more of a meditation on this idea of God with us. Because the story of God's presence dwelling with his creation is the story of the Bible from beginning to end. Think back with me to Genesis, and I'm going to cover a lot of scripture passages and you're welcome to turn to the ones you can get to in time but follow along in your minds for sure go back with me to genesis chapter one describes the creation of the world pretty basic amazing but basic we have the the six days of creation we turn to what we have as chapter two and that gives us day seven when god rested and then the rest of chapter two describes the creation of humans 
in more detail. And those first humans, Adam and Eve, experienced an amazing blessing. They experienced the presence of God in a deep and personal and profound way. They had regular fellowship with their creator. And that was God's intention from the very beginning. But we know what happened next. In chapter 3, the serpent tempted Eve and she disobeyed the only rule that God had given. What's that? Don't eat of this one tree. If you eat of the fruit of this one tree, you will die. They did. She ate, Adam ate. And if you had never read the story before, based on God's prediction that the day you eat thereof, you will surely die, you may expect that they're going to drop down dead. Because that's what God said. And God keeps his word. He said that they would surely die. But what he was referring to is not physical death, not in that context. They would die later, they did. In their case, hundreds of years later is what the Bible tells us. But death means separation. When a loved one dies, you may have used this phrase before, I lost my relative. I lost my loved one. Did you really lose? Did you misplace anybody? No, we understand that what we mean by that is I am separated from my loved one in a way that I will not be able to fellowship with that person again. And that's what they lost. Yes, they died physically later, but that spiritual death, that separation from God began at that point. The consequences of their sin had begun. They no longer enjoyed unhindered fellowship with their creator because they had sinned against him. And what's more, Adam and Eve knew that they had sinned. And in that moment, they realized they were naked, so they tried to make some coverings to hide themselves. Here are a few verses I'm going to read to you. Genesis 3, starting in verse 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife, here it is, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So they've tried to hide themselves by making some coverings and they've tried to hide themselves among the trees of the garden. They're playing hide and go seek with God. <laughs> they lost. If you continue reading, you learn that God shed the blood of an animal to provide coverings for his children. The fig leaves that they tried to sew together as aprons didn't cut it. So in other words, God himself made a way for them to come back into fellowship with him. He gave them a rule. They broke the rule. They lost that close fellowship. He provided a way for them to come back into fellowship. You with me? This is review, but it, we're going somewhere. The effects of sin remained with them and the surrounding creation. We still see it today. But fellowship is still possible because of what God has done. So what has God done? God desires fellowship with his people, but our sin prevents that fellowship. And although the situation may, become, may seem to us that it is helpless, that it is hopeless, God has already done something that only God could do. He restored that fellowship. He did it, of course, through his son, Jesus Christ. God the Father 
sent Jesus the Son, who was 100% God, he still is, to become 100% man. And since we couldn't do anything to reconcile our relationship with him, he came to dwell among us to bring about our reconciliation. Jesus lived the perfect life that we couldn't. As we said earlier, sin brings death, which is separation from God. And that's what our sin deserved. Our sin deserved death. The wages of sin is death. But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We spent the past 18 months studying together through the gospel of Mark. What does gospel mean? It means the good news. It's the good news about Jesus Christ. So we have been dwelling in great detail and even celebrating Jesus' life, his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. That's what he did for us. That's what God did to bring us back into fellowship with him. So what I'd like to do for a few minutes is look at some passages that promise God's presence. He desires to fellowship with us. He desires to dwell with us. You say, how do you know? Because we have lots and lots of verses. This is not exhaustive. I hope it won't be exhausting, but it won't be all the verses, but it's a lot. So I'm going to move fairly quickly, but they'll be on the screen behind me. And I, I pray, my prayer this week has been that these truths would be encouraging to you. Again, what is our first main point? That God has promised to be with us throughout life. So here's the first one. Genesis 26, 3, God is talking to Abraham and he's making promises to Abraham and he says, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. What's he promising to Abraham? I will dwell with you. I will be with you. Abraham's son of the promise was Isaac. So chapter 26, verse 24 says, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not fear. Why? For I am with you. I'm the God of your father. In the same way that I was with your father, I will be with you. That's his promise. I am with you. Isaac had a son of promise. Jacob or Israel. So you skip a couple more chapters. Genesis 28, 15, speaking to Jacob, God says, behold, I am with you and will keep you, will guard you, will protect you wherever you go. That's a promise. He made it to Jacob, but he makes it to all of his children, I believe. Also to Jacob. A few chapters later, 31.3, return to the land of your fathers and to your family, and what's the promise from God? I will be with you. Skip a bunch of generations. We skip a book. Get to Exodus chapter 3. God appeared to Moses at the burning bush. What was God doing? God was coming down to be present in a miraculous way with Moses. So God is present in this special way. It's a flame. It's a bush that isn't burning. And what does he say to Moses? Among other things, he says, I will certainly be with you. And this shall be a sign to you that I have sent you. When you have brought this people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. You're coming back here with lots of people, and you're going to serve. You're going to worship me here. And by the way, when they did... God came down on the mountain. And how did they know that God was there meeting with Moses on the mountain? Because there was an earthquake and thunders, thunderings and lightnings and a big cloud. Fancy word for that is Shekinah. It, it's the glory of God present with his people. 
Skip a few more books. Deuteronomy 2. Deuteronomy is second law. It's Moses' farewell address, basically, is what the book is about. It's things that God wanted his people to hear while Moses was still leading them. Deuteronomy 2.7 says, For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows you're trudging through this great wilderness. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you. You have lacked nothing. At the end of that book, to Joshua, God said, Be strong and of good courage. You shall bring the children of Israel into the land which I swore to them. And what does he say? I will be with you. I will be with you. And apparently Joshua, like me, needed to hear it several times. Maybe you can relate. Because Joshua 1.5 says, As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. I'm going to be with you, Joshua. In the same way that I was with Moses from the time of the burning bush, I guided him, I led him, I protected him. I'm going to be with you that same way. Joshua 3, 7, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. Another guy who struggled was Gideon. God saw him as a mighty man of valor, and he said, who? What are you talking about? And in Judges 6, 16, it says, surely I will be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. How was he going to do that? Because he was a brave man? No. Because he was a great military Victor, no. How was he going to do that? Because God was with him. 1 Kings 11.38, a king named Jeroboam. This one is a conditional promise. If you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did. If you follow me like David did, while you're the king, guess what? I will be with you. That's the promise. Psalm 46 makes some statements, some promises in that way. Psalm 46, 7, and repeated in verse 11, says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Do you get the idea that there are a lot of these? Do you think it's important to God for us to know that he is with us? There are a couple here in Isaiah, Isaiah 41, great chapter, well-known, if you haven't read it lately, it's a good one to read. Speaking to the nation of Israel, there's a promise to them, fear not, why? For I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, yes, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. What's the promise? I will be with you, I will help you, I will protect you. A couple chapters later, Isaiah 43 Again, speaking to the nation of Israel. Fear not. Why? Because I've redeemed you. I've bought you back. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. It's a promise from God. When you pass through the waters, when you are struggling in trials, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. Fear not, he says in verse 5, why? For I am with you. Some of you are likely struggling this morning. I may not know anything about it, but you are struggling 
with doubt. You are struggling with fear. You are struggling, as we often do, with the unknown. And what is the promise to you? So many times I will be with you, but so many times of those, do not fear. Stop fearing. Why? Because I am with you. I will be with you. I will hold you. I will protect you. I will lead you. I will guard you. I am with you. I'm going to give you only one from Jeremiah, but there are one, two, three, four, five of them. Very similar statements. Do not be afraid of their faces. Who's he talking to? Jeremiah, the prophet, the one whom the book is named for. Don't be afraid of their faces. They're not going to like you. In fact, they're going to threaten to hurt you. Don't be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, to save you. You probably haven't been in Haggai for a while. But the book of Haggai, the minor prophet, chapter 1, verse 13, is addressed to Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people of Judah. And in that verse, and then in the next chapter as well, it says, I am with you. Now, there are more, but that was, that was plenty, I know. But I'm going to give you a couple from the New Testament as well. Paul was no stranger to danger. He had problems wherever he went. He was persecuted wherever he went. People didn't like him wherever he went. And one of the times God made a promise to him is in Acts 18, verse 10. And God told Paul, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you. It's okay. Yes, I know that they're trying to kill you. Remember, there, there was a time when people were fasting. They had taken a vow. We're not going to eat. We're on a hunger strike until this guy is dead. And God said, it's okay. I am with you and no one's going to hurt you. So whatever your fear may be, for something happening today, for something that may be happening a month from now or a year from now, Whatever's on your mind right now, God has promised to be with you. Perhaps the most famous from the New Testament would be Matthew 28, 20. We commonly call that passage the Great Commission. And within that context, Jesus said, I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus has promised he will be with us. And some of you are wondering, well, how does that work? Because didn't, didn't we study last week that Jesus ascended to his father? He's at the right hand of his father. Didn't we talk about that? Then how can he say he's going to be with us? And the answer is the Holy Spirit. He has sent his spirit to dwell in each one of his disciples. And he promised that in John chapter 14. Verse 15 starts this way. If you love me, keep my commandments. He's talking to his disciples and he's saying, if you love me, if you are my follower, you will obey me. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. And that helper will abide with you forever. Who is that? The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and look at this, and he will be in you. So how can Jesus keep his promise I am with you always to the end of the age. He can do that because he sent his Holy Spirit so that anyone is, who is his follower, anyone who is his child, anyone who has received him by believing in him has the Holy Spirit dwelling inside us. And there are many passages we could look at that, but I'm going to give you one. 
that's 2 Corinthians 6, 16. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. This is a promise from the Lord himself that he will be with us. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're concerned about going through, God is going to be with you. His Holy Spirit is living in you. And what's the analogy there? It's to the temple. Earlier we talked briefly about Moses, and first God appeared to him in the burning bush, and later God appeared and met with him on Mount Sinai. And what did he give him instructions to do? He said, I want you to build me a tent, a tabernacle. And what did that represent? It represented his presence with them. Remember, they dedicated that fancy tent, the Ark of the Covenant, all of that. And how did God respond? He filled it with his glory, with the cloud that we were talking about, that Shekinah glory. He came down to show them, I am present. I am here with you. You are my people. I have redeemed you. I have bought you out of slavery from Egypt. I am with you, and I will continue to be with you. How did that appear? There, remember, there's the pillar of cloud, pillar of fire. They could see something visual to remind them that God is present. Later, they had a temple. They were able to build the temple in Jerusalem. We know that building was very important to them. We studied it multiple times in Mark. And the same thing, at the dedication of the temple, we can read about that. When Solomon dedicated that temple, he prayed a long prayer. And again, a cloud came into the temple such that the priests couldn't continue to minister. They had to come out. That's the picture, folks. If you're a child of God this morning, if you're a believer in Jesus as your Savior, you have the Holy Spirit living in you in the same way that God came down in a cloud and filled that tabernacle, that tent, and then later filled the temple. That's the picture. And he is with you, and he will dwell with you. He will empower you. But let's be honest. Sometimes we don't feel like he is with us. Sometimes we feel like he's forgotten about us. Sometimes we feel like he has more important things to do. Maybe we slipped through the cracks. Maybe we're the one person that he forgot to be with today. So I've shown you multiple proofs from the Old Testament, mostly, that God has promised to be with us throughout life, but God is with us even when we can't sense his presence. Sometimes it's because we're just oblivious. Remember Jacob had that dream at Bethel and he, he saw the ladder and the angels. You remember all that? When he told others about it, and Moses wrote it down for us in Genesis 28, 16, it says, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and here's what he said. Surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't know it. He wasn't aware. Somehow I missed that. I, di I didn't see that there was a ladder here next to my pillow of a stone. Last week we talked about the two disciples on the road to Emmaus. The risen Christ was walking with them and talking with them and opening the scriptures to them and they didn't know it was him. They didn't know until he broke bread with them and then he disappeared out of their sight. They weren't aware does that mean he wasn't there? No, he was there and they didn't realize it. 
There are other times we may try to avoid God's presence, that we're trying to get away from him. We saw that with Adam and Eve. You can read about it with Jonah. Jonah tried to run from the presence of the Lord. That's in verse 3 and verse 10 of chapter 1 of that book. But he couldn't get away from the presence of the Lord. Nobody can. Here's what David wrote in Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. You can't get away from the presence of God. Jonah couldn't, Adam and Eve couldn't, and neither can you. Whether you realize it or not, whether you're oblivious to it, whether you're trying to hide and run from him, he's there. Job, understandably, could not sense that God was with him. A man who endured, I would think, as many trials as any of us and more. And here's what he said in Job 23, verses 8 through 10. Look, I go forward, but he is not there. And backward, but I cannot perceive him. When he works on the left hand, I cannot behold him. When he turns to the right hand, I cannot see him. I can't tell God is there. That's what he's saying. I don't sense he's there. I think he's abandoned me. I think he's forgotten about me. But he reassures himself with the truth that we need to reassure ourselves with this morning. Verse 10, but he knows the way that I take. I don't know where he is but he knows where I am. When he has tried me, when he has tested me, I shall come forth as gold. So where is God when I can't sense that God is there? Where is he? He's right there, not allowing me to tell that he's there. I can't sense that he's there. Job couldn't tell. Forward, backward, left, right. I don't know where he is. He's right there. not allowing you to sense that he's right there. Paul put it this way in Acts 17. He is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. He's not far away. Whether we can sense him or not, he's, he's there. The promise of Jesus from Hebrews 13, it's recorded there, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Never. One of the most famous passages of Scripture that we have is Psalm 23. And there it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. I will not fear. Why? Why? Because you are with me. Why do I not have to fear with everything going on in the world today? Because God is with me. Why do I not need to fear what may be coming in 2024? Because God is with me. I don't have to fear death itself because God is with me. But before we finish, I'd look, like to look at a few more promises of God's presence, in this case, for eternity. We've seen that God has promised to be with us throughout life. God is with us even when we can't sense his presence. But God has promised to be with us throughout eternity. 
Jesus promised to prepare a place for us and then return for us so that we can be with him forever. This is John chapter 14, well-known verses, first three verses of John 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Maybe some of us should start right there this morning. Let not your heart be Stop being troubled. Why? You believe in God, believe also in me. If you believe in God, believe in me, Jesus says. Then he goes on and gives us a promise. In my Father's house are many mansions. There are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Why? That where I am, you may be also. What do we have to look forward to? The place he's prepared for us? Why do we look forward to it? Because he's going to be there. He's going to bring us to be with him. We go all the way to the end of the Bible. So from the beginning to the end of the Bible, we have this idea of God's presence, God's fellowship. Revelation 21, 1 through 4, is a description of the new heaven and the new earth. John writes, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle, that means tent, that means dwelling place. The tabernacle of God is with men. And what else? And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself shall be with them and be their God. That's Emmanuel. That's God with us. What does it say? God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Does that sound good to anybody this morning? No more death, no more sorrow, no more pain. It's all gone. You know what's left? That place he's prepared for us and eternity to enjoy it with him. That's Emmanuel. That's God with us. So maybe later this week, if, if you're reading in Matthew 1, you're going to come across these verses again. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, say that with me, God with us. Does that mean anything to you this morning? God is with us. God's plan from the beginning was to fellowship with his people, and when our sins separated us from him, he came after us. That's the story of the Bible, both the Old and the New Testaments, and we have the promise that he will come again. In praying through and deciding what I was going to say this week and next week, I was reminded that when the angels came, and this is what we're going to look at next week, they had a message of peace. They had a message of comfort. They had a message of goodwill. 
And with this being the last time I'm going to get to teach you, to preach to you today and next week, this year, the last time I'll be doing it in this building, I wanted to do the same. I wanted to offer you words of comfort, words of peace, words of joy. And I don't think we can start any place better than that God is with us. God has promised to be with us throughout life. God is with us even when we can't sense his presence. And God has promised to be with us throughout eternity. How, how can we know that we'll be with him for eternity? If we believe in his name, if we call out to him to save us, if we receive the gift of salvation that he offers us. Christian, do you believe that God is with you? Even if you can't sense that today. If you're fearful, if you're doubting, if you're nervous, if you're anxious, you, you pick the word. Remind yourself that God is with us. You're a believer, remind yourself God is in us. He will dwell with us and he's preparing a place for us and will bring him to be with him. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Our Father, how profound it is to try to comprehend that you, the creator God, would care about your creation. That you would want to be with us. That you would desire that so much that when we sinned against you, when we messed up our part of that fellowship, you provided a way for us to have restored fellowship with you. Father, we praise you for that today. Lord, this can be a lonely time of year for some. Please reassure us of your presence. We are not alone. You will not leave us orphans. You will not abandon us. You never have and you never will. Lord, there are some who are fearful and doubting. Encourage us to set aside our fears. Encourage us with your presence and with the promise of your presence, both now and forever. And Lord, if there is anyone here in this room, watching or listening online, who does not have a relationship with you, who does not, hasn't experienced that fellowship, does not have the Holy Spirit inside, please draw that one to you. Father, comfort us th with these words today and throughout this season. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.